It is no coincidence that one hundred years after John Knox lived, Scottish Christians signed their names in blood in defiance of tyrannical usurpers of King Jesus' reign, covenanting to uphold the crown rights of the Redeemer in his kirk. In that act, and in the decades of brutal persecution that followed it, we see the legacy of Knox's uncompromising Christology imprinted on his countrymen. From the first page to the last of Knox's written words, the reader is brought relentlessly back to the source of Knox's greatness. Christ was at the centre of every dimension of his life. It is this, and this alone, that made Knox mighty in his weakness. Peel back the layers and read between the lines. There is never a hint of false modesty in the man. His statements about himself, good or bad, are corroborated by those closest to him. His was an age when one did not admit weakness. Devouring lions crouched in wait to crush weak men. Yet Knox unabashedly admitted his fears. I quake, I fear, and tremble. It was that honest admission of his frailty, and his corresponding reliance on Christ, that gave him such force against the enemies of the gospel. He was not posturing when he admitted his fears, because he knew himself to be a man of inherent weakness, and because he was an honest, humble man, he could say without pretext, I sought neither preeminence, glory, nor riches. My honour was that Christ Jesus should reign. When a man is so subdued by the grace of God in the gospel that such a self-assessment is, in fact, accurate, that man, love him or hate him, stands out in the crowd. Thus Knox had preeminence in Scotland. Yet, disproportionate to that preeminence, he had neither glory nor riches. He gained preeminence because, like so few, he did not seek it. He did not set out to rule his world for himself. There was no pretext when Knox wrote, It has pleased his merciful providence to make me, among others, a simple soldier and witness-bearer unto men. As such he bent every spiritual nerve of his existence, that Christ Jesus should reign. Surrounded by men of higher birth and greater formal learning, Knox nevertheless emerged in 1559 as the undisputed leader of the Reformation in Scotland. He remarkably managed to do so without hipster apparel, video streaming, or social media. He was a mega-preacher in a world unencumbered by such a category. Yet he was a tender pastor, a simple shepherd guiding simple sheep to a profoundly great saviour. In all of this, Despite his diminutive stature, about Knox there was an aura of grandeur and force that defies modern measure. To assess him proportionately, we must turn our minds back again to the prophets of old, Elijah, Jeremiah, and the rest. For some, his tacit assumption of the role of Old Testament prophet has made him appear as a mere fanatic. The modern spin on ancient prophets is that they were raving monsters, tyrants wholly incompatible with the imagined enlightenment of our age. Therefore, many assume Knox was a religious tyrant, and like all tyrants, a proud, ambitious monster, a steamroller forcing his will and way, whatever the price. This unfair view of the prophets suggests inaccurate conclusions about Knox. The best historians, friends or foes, find Knox's character to be without a trace of personal vanity, self-seeking, or self-exaltation. And yet he had contemporaries who called him the trumpeter of rebellion, men who today would rank him among the most intolerant of men. One need only turn to the words of Jesus to understand better how Knox gained such preeminence. 
but came to be so disliked by so many. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John chapter 15 verse 19. The world hated Christ, and so hates his elect, his devoted followers, especially the ones God endows with a double portion of divine enabling.